Well, let's take our Bibles, copy of the Scriptures, and locate 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll continue in our series, Holiness in the Midst of Hostility. Today, you not only have your Bible there, you also have your new journal that just came out today. It covers chapters 3 and 4. I hope you have that. If you do, turn to page 4 in that. If you don't have one, you can pick one up at Connect Center there. We're beginning chapter 3 in this and continuing in this series. We're actually continuing in a thought as well. It's a new chapter, at least in our English versions, versions and uh, it's a new strain of thought beginning in verse 1, but it's really a continuing theme that began back in 2.13. And on the surface, this is the topic. It's submitting to authority. That began back in 2.13, uh, and he mentions several areas or platforms, we may even call them arenas, in which this is the necessary posture for a believer. But I want to submit to you today that I don't think that's really the issue. It is the topic discussed, but there's something beneath the issue. There is a greater issue at stake, and it's really just one concept summed up in three words. You see, we like to think it's about submitting to authority, but I think what's beneath this is trusting in God. That's really what is at the heart of humble submission. In fact, I would prove this to you by Having you noticed that in each of the sections we've seen so far in which he calls for a posture of humble submission, he actually mentions God at the root of that. Notice in one of the first sections, um, he talks about being servants of God. This is chapter 2, verse 16. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says we're to be mindful of God. Last week, we saw how Jesus entrusted himself and the whole situation to God. And you're going to see in chapter 3, verse 5 today, that Sarah is an example of holy women who hoped in God. So in each of these sections, there is this call to, and in the words of the text, to be subject. And yet in each of the sections, we're told to go deeper and realize that the reason we can do that horizontally is because we have this hope in God vertically. And so he continues this theme today unpacking how this looks in a marriage, specifically a marriage between a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. So let's read our text. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Follow along with me. I'll read, make a few comments. Then we'll notice three realities from this text. First of all, the Bible says there was this, likewise, and so we see that he's continuing the train of thought that began in chapter 2, verse 13, the idea of being subject, of having humble, submissive posture. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some, let me pause there and say this, not every wife in this believing community was married to an unbelieving husband. There were some, apparently, right? And so he's writing this to all of the wives, and yet he realizes that some of these husbands do not obey the word. And yet he says that in a wife's posture of humble submission, the unbelieving husband, which is what they refer to, they may be one without a word. 
I like the play on words there, don't you? That they don't obey the word, meaning God's word is called to salvation, the gospel, and yet they can be one to God's word without a word. How? It says here, by the conduct of their wives. And now he goes on to amplify what kind of conduct he's speaking of. He says, when they see, speaking of the unbelieving husband, they, they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so we see here something's more powerful than words. It is action. And the action he's referring to here is the action of a posture of humble submission represented and exhibited by respectful and pure conduct. Verse 3, he says, do not, that's a negative, that's what we're not to do, do not let your adorning, here speaking to the wives, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, do not let that be how you adorn yourself, he says. Verse 4, but let it be, so there's a negative in verse 3, verse 4 begins the positive. Here's what we're to do, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who, say the next three words with me, hoped in God, used to adorn themselves. There's the third time of the use of the word adorn. This is how they arranged their life, their heart. They they did this by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Great set of six verses. And I, I don't want to remove the specific context of this exhortation, okay? Let's just be very clear and textually transparent about what the specific context is. It is how submission looks in an unequal yoke between a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. Peter here does um, go to great lengths to talk about how that would look. However, I don't want to disregard the overarching principles in play here as well concerning marriage and humble submission. Because remember, not every wife had an unbelieving husband, just some, according to verses 1 and 2. So there is a specific context, and then there are overarching principles. So allow me to bring your attention to three what I call connected realities from this text that regard uh, and that exist between a husband and wife with this caveat. Listen very carefully. These are especially true, and I might even say these three are on steroids, when the husband's an unbeliever. First reality, number one, humble submission is a boldly silent witness. And you cannot escape what Peter says in verses one and two, that actions speak louder than words, especially in a context when there's an unbelieving husband and a believing wife. And I would remind you, this posture by the believing wife is not a passive posture. This is a very active one. According to this text, the wife intentionally refuses to use her words to try and, and verbally bring her husband into the kingdom. Instead, the scriptures say she proactively, purposefully uses 
her behavior. And notice the words that point to the kind of behavior that she's intentionally actively using. The Bible here calls it respectful and, and pure conduct. In other words, sincere, honoring behavior. Not leveraging, manipulative, but forthright, face value type of conduct. And can we just all agree this is a tried and true principle, not just in a marriage context between a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. We, we all know the old adage that I just said to you, that actions speak louder than words. This is a tried and true principle. In fact, let me give you some historical illustrations of this. Peter wrote this probably in the 50, 60 AD range approximately 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection. Let's fast forward now to a few hundred years to 300 to 400 AD. One of the church fathers that you may be acquainted with, his name is Augustine. His mother's name was Monica. Her husband was an unbeliever for most of his life and most of their marriage. But Augustine writes how his father came to faith on his deathbed. And in Augustine's record of his prayers, listen to how he records the conversion of his father and how his mother's actions were, were instrumental in that. And in this reading is, what, 1,800 years old? So the language may be a little distant for some of you, but just listen to the beauty of this prayer that Augustine writes. She served him as her Lord and did her diligence to win him unto thee, preaching thee unto him by her behavior, by which thou ornamentest her, making her reverently amiable unto her husband. That's some good language, isn't it? <laughs> Here's Augustine, church father that many of us have read about and know about whose mother was a believer, whose father was an unbeliever, and has recorded for us an historical uh, setting in which she, through her behavior, the word he uses is conversation. In that culture, that was the word for how you live your life, your conduct, your lifestyle. Her behavior is what God ornamented her with to draw her husband so that on his deathbed, he became a Christian. And the power of a respectful, pure Humbly submissive wife to bring an unbelieving husband to faith. But watch this. This happened just last year in our own church. Many of you don't know the full story. You remember Tom Gable getting baptized. Now, we have two Tom Gables here. And they're not senior, junior, so I can't use that word. Uh, there's a family name they go by. I think it's Tom D and Tom C. And I believe Tom C is the older one. If I'm wrong on that, just give me some grace. But Tom Gable is an older man who was saved and baptized just last year, maybe actually baptized a couple of months ago, but saved, I think, a few months before that. And what you probably don't know is that his conversion is largely in part to the example of his wife for 20 plus years. They moved to Arkansas uh, when they retired early. And for years in Arkansas, she attended faithfully a, a Bible-believing, solid church. And often he would go... Um, but he mainly just watched her. And from everything I've gathered from Tom, she never pressured him with her words. She just um, was involved and would go. And, and he graciously kind of accommodated 
But as time unfolded, uh, it was clear that she was very committed to her faith. Well, then Joyce passed away. And a lot of this became evident in the funeral and then in some of the conversation afterwards that Tom would always mention her obedience, her activity, her habits. He never said it was about her words. It was always about her action. And it was not long after that as Tom thought about would he see Joyce again and all the things that she invested her life in that Tom came under great conviction and then trusted Christ and was baptized just a couple of months ago. I think I could say to you with the family's uh, verification, Joyce's consistent life of following Jesus, those actions were instrumental in Tom coming to faith. Amen? Now, admittedly, church, this is not a guarantee. If you're here this morning and you're a believing wife and your husband's an unbeliever, I'm not trying to give you some type of formula or a checklist that if you treat your spouse in a certain way or like a project or part of an equation that, okay, it's a guarantee that he will come to Christ. I'm not saying that. But I will guarantee you this, that it's highly doubtful you'll ever nag your husband into the family of God. And your most trusted alternative is to hear Peter's words to wives who have unbelieving husbands and to see your actions as a boldly silent witness. The, the power of a pure and respectful, submissive type of behavior that really leads to a beautiful gospel witness. Here's the next reality. Humble submission is more compelling than outward attraction. It gets pretty juicy here in verse 3, doesn't it? In which Peter says, don't let your adorning be external. And then he mentions some ways in which women in that culture were going to extravagant ends to gain attention. So it seems that what's happening is when they realize we can't use our words, let's just make sure we go over the top with how we look. And maybe we'll get their attention and they'll notice that they too should be a Christian. And Peter here says, listen, that type of external extravagance is not what we're after. Instead, we're after the, the adorning of the hidden person of the heart. And so here is a pretty interesting set of verses. Peter isn't outlawing external cosmetics, all right? By the way, that's the word used for adorning here. It's the word cosmos, it means to arrange and to order. We get the word cosmos from it. We get the word cosmetics, like you arrange the things on your face. Peter here says that the emphasis should not be, or the priority should not be on externally ordering that which people see in an extravagant way to gain attention. Instead, we are the best witness for what the gospel does by ordering what's inside. He's drawing a contrast here. He says that sincere, respectful, pure behavior is far better than gaudy extravagance in your outward beauty. Let me say it to you just quite plainly. Humble, Action is more compelling than hot attraction. But our culture wants you to believe the opposite. Could I hear an amen from every lady in the room? And we could go down the row of, self, of social media 
We could talk about the magazines. and We could list a number of outlets in which all you see are the gaudy external aspects of beauty as if the hot attraction is what everyone wants. But there is no real power in that. It's just surfacy. It's like whipped cream. You poke it and there's nothing inside. Peter here is saying, let's make sure there's something inside. And this should be the priority of, in this case, in this context, especially women with unbelieving husbands, to focus more on being humbly active in your posture of submission than hotly attractive in your external looks. Let me just ask you a question to which I think all of you would agree. I don't think anyone in this room will disagree with this question or disagree with the answer. Is God more concerned about the inside or the outside? Let's say the answer together. Ready? Inside. We know this from Scripture. God looks at the heart, not on the outside. We know that. And so we, we believe that. But can I just ask the woman a question? Do you spend more time each day in front of the mirror of God's Word adorning your heart or more time in front of the mirror of the bathroom adorning your hair. I know that all of you would agree. The inside matters most, but where do you spend more time? And what gets the vast bulk of your attention? I just bring that to you to remind you of this second reality, that humble submission is more compelling than outward attraction. And the tendency is not to believe that, I would invite you and encourage you. I would pastorally exhort every woman here to trust God's word, not the culture. And extravagance on the outside may gain a temporary look, but it will not gain you what Peter now describes as the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And that's our third reality. Look with me at this, can we? That humble submission starts inside the heart that hopes in God. So I hope you see kind of the flow here, the progression of the text. What Peter is doing here is he talks to, yes, husbands and wives in general, but specifically wives who are married to unbelieving husbands. And he says, make sure that you have a silently bold witness that comes from the the inner part of you, not just the extravagant external part of you. And this inner part of you is that, that part of you that is a gentle and quiet spirit. That's where the real beauty is. In fact, he says here, this beauty is imperishable or it's priceless. It's, it lasts. He calls it uh, precious, meaning rare, so Peter here is clearly prioritizing inner beauty over external attraction. And he goes even deeper and now describes what inner beauty looks like. Do you see it in your text here? He says it's a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, what is he re referencing here? What does this mean? I think it's an interesting play on words to use the word quiet here because he just finished explaining how the most powerful witness a wife can give to an unbelieving husband is that of humble, submissive action that's minus words. In other words, you're not, you're not nagging them. You're, you're just serving. You're, you're living respectfully and sincerely. And then he says here is this, this gentle and quiet spirit is what empowers that. And so when he says quiet, what, what, what's this? He's, he's, 
He's not necessarily meaning quiet verbally, though I know that's in the text in the first two verses. The word quiet here refers to no stress. It means a calm. It means a peaceful demeanor. But let's connect the dots here. You're able to live a life of no words when you have a heart of no stress. And typically, and this is true not just for women but for men, we tend to let our words be the place that we uh, put our stress on display. Could someone say amen there? And Peter here is just kind of aiming for the real issue that when your heart is stressed, not at rest, when it's worried and and, uh, not relaxed, when it's not peaceful, when your inner demeanor isn't calm, that comes out. And so when he calls for a wife of an unbelieving husband to exhibit a humbly submissive posture without the use of nagging words. He's saying there's a reason that can happen. It's because you have a heart that's not stressful. There's a connection here. Jesus did say out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, didn't he? And so when the heart is at peace, gentle and quiet, when the spirit, the demeanor of a woman especially a wife married to an unbelieving man, hopes in God, she's able then to take the posture of being humbly submissive because she trusts in God first. That's why the real issue here is is all about trusting God. A few more thoughts about this, can we? He uses next the example of Sarah to show how Sarah was a holy woman who hoped in God. In fact, look at verse five. Peter here says, this is how they adorn themselves. And then he equates adorning themselves with submitting to their own husbands. That phrase in verse five is an exact repetition of verse one. And so he's saying, adorning yourself with a heart that trusts the Lord. This is how they dressed their life. This is how they arranged. This is how they ordered the cosmos of their existence, so to speak, so that they could then submit to their own husbands. And he says, Sarah is an example of this. Now, I find this quite intriguing because Sarah's husband was not an unbeliever, right? Her husband was Abraham. And so why does Peter here use Abraham as an example of of how to have this calm, stressless, inner demeanor so that you're not using your words to gain control or to nag. I think, first of all, this speaks that Peter is here addressing wives in general, of which some have unbelieving husbands. And he's saying there are moments in which it will be difficult to board the train of your husband's leadership. But if you'll hope in God, instead of hoping just in your husband, you'll be able to maintain a posture of a calm inner demeanor that will then enable you not to have to use your words to try to gain control. And we find this by the simple word Lord. Do you see that in verse 6? As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, I know that sounds odd to you in this culture. I doubt any wife here calls her husband Lord, okay? So, so don't hear it in that fashion. Just understand it's the word for master. It's, it's, it's the word in that culture that, would, that represented Sarah's understanding that, that Abraham was her leader. And this same word is used in Genesis 18, in which 
They were told that within the year, they would have a child, a child of promise. And if you read Genesis 18, upon that news, Sarah chuckled. And she doubted if that could happen. And yet, almost simultaneously that she is doubting and that she's chuckling, and then she's like, we're going to have a baby? (laughs) She then calls Abraham Lord. The sense is, I don't see how in the world this is going to happen or how you're going to make this happen, but I'll get on board this train. That's kind of the sense of the text. And can we just all admit that we've had moments like that, whether we're speaking to wives in regard to their husbands or just people in regards to things they've experienced. We're like, you, you hear the news, you, you get the, the situation and your, your heart's like, um, yeah, I'm, I doubt that will happen. But your words are like, okay, I'm in. And you're, you're really not sure you're in, but you're saying you're in. And so you have this mixture. This is what he's referencing, I believe. Now, I think there may be more at stake here in Peter's mind regarding Abraham and Sarah. I won't be able to prove that. I'll make some strong cases for that on the Extra Point Podcast Tuesday. Listen in. There's probably a good bit in Peter's mind about Abraham and Sarah. Times in which Sarah did say, okay, Abraham, I'm trusting you. But I think what Sarah was actually saying was, I'm really trusting God to use you because I'm not sure how this is going to work. It shows us that Sarah says here, she hoped in God. That's why the next verse says, or the next part of this verse says, um, you're her children if you do good and don't fear anything that is frightening. The word if is, is better translated since. And so just hear it like this. You, speaking of wives of unbelieving husbands, you're in the same line of, of women like Sarah, when you humbly submit to your husband and trust God, even above him, that God's going to use him in this situation since you do good. And what is good referring to there? It's, again, more evidence that I think in this section of Peter's letter, the words do good or the word, do, uh, the word good is referring to the humble act of submission. It's used not only in this context, it's used for other times in which men and women both have to Uh, in the middle of perhaps misunderstanding, mistreatment, injustice, unfairness, um, we're not sure we're following, they still take the the, the submissive posture of humility. They come up, up under the authority that's in place. And so they don't fear. Why? Because they're actually, watch this, they're not just trusting that earthly authority. They're actually, in a higher way, trusting God. And this is what Sarah is an example of. And in the end, of course, God did prove faithful and she had nothing to fear. Isaac was born. God delivered. Yes, he used the ordained means of Abraham and Sarah, but it was God who fulfilled the promise. In the middle of that, Sarah did good, meaning she humbly submitted to her husband and she didn't use her words. She chose sincere and respectful behavior. So I hope you see this, wives. In fact, can I start at the core center of the context? I hope you see this, wives with unbelieving husbands. I hope you see this, wives of husbands in general. I hope we all see this, that it's really not about submitting to authority ultimately, is it? 
It's actually about trusting in God. It's true for wives with unbelieving husbands. It's true for wives with husbands. It's true for people under authority. That the real issue is not being subject to earthly authorities. The real issue is when that's hard to do, who do you really trust? And the scriptures here call us to hope in God. You see, I'm convinced, and I was thinking this throughout the week, not only in this passage, but in other ones surrounding this, in this whole section. It's hard to submit because of God, which is what we're called to do, for the Lord's sake. We're called to submit to earthly authorities. That's hard to submit because of God if we've yet to submit to God. That's why I think the real issue isn't submitting to authority. The real issue is trusting in God. And so let me just summarize this with the context in mind that Peter here is addressing primarily and specifically wives with unbelieving husbands, but yet generally wives, and I think by application, since it's in this entire section on humble submission, all of us. Here's what he says directly. I'll just give you this in a sentence pertaining to the central context. Humble submission is a wife's active way to show priceless, peaceful beauty and bold hope in God. I want to warn you, wives in the room, this will go against the grain of what your culture says to you. All right? This will fly in the face of social media but I don't care. And I would encourage you not to care either. Trust God's word. And just as all of us have to adopt and accept that God calls us at times to humble submission to our authorities, so for you in this case, you're the one kind of in the microscope. Next week, it'll be the husbands. For you in this case this week, especially wives with unbelieving husbands, do not underestimate the compelling nature and power of a humble, submissive spirit that's gentle and quiet. It is boldly powerful. So can I ask this week, if just the women in the room with passion would just say our take-home truth? In fact, I'm not even going to say it with you. We'll show them the screen behind me. And can you get some women in the room just echo these six verses summarized in this one sentence together? Would you go ahead? Begin. Humble submission Could all the men say amen? amen? And so thankful for the wives in the room who live this way and hear God's word and, and just uh, are beautiful examples and are daughters of Sarah. Now, as you process this text, Allow me to share a personal memory with you that when, uh, when I first saw this in Julie. Now, I'd remind you, this doesn't prove the principle. It just illustrates it. It occurred on our second first date. We dated for a bit in college. Uh, then we broke up and she moved back home. I moved out of the house and began um, work in another place. We reconnected somewhere in there, and so we were talking on the phone and through letters. 
And we agreed to meet in Chattanooga. And so I think I've got this story pretty close to right. This is how it went, okay? Some of the details are sketchy 35 years later. I think it's pretty close. She, she will know the exact details, trust me. But we met in Chattanooga, and I think I picked her up either at her sister's house. I thought it was the airport, but I think it was her sister's house. It was somewhere in Chattanooga. And we were either going to go out to eat or we were going to go to a church service. I can't remember which one. Maybe both. I can't remember. But I remember when I picked her up, I was so glad to see her again. And, and my mind was on marriage. I don't know if she thought that or knew that, but it was our first time to reconvene in a number of years. So it was our second first date. And um, her first opportunity to show me I'm on board was when I asked this ill-timed question. And it was um, probably rude. It didn't seem rude in the moment. We were just conversing back and forth, catching up. But I I felt like this, uh, I couldn't wait to find out the real, like, this is why we're getting together. I just want to get to the heart of the matter. Can we cut to the chase? It was a terrible moment for me, okay? And yet, God used it in a beautiful way. And it just shows my wife's graciousness and politeness. But at some point in the car, I remember looking at her and almost in an, in an interruptive fashion, I said, so I just got to ask you, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel called to preach. I, that's kind of what I'm set to do. And could you be a pastor's wife? I just kind of, ah, there it is. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was within minutes. We were in the car. We haven't gotten to the church or to the restaurant. It, not, it just was really fresh and new. And I'm thinking, wow. Let's just throw the gauntlet down. Like, I don't know what made me say that. I, I, to this day, I'm like, that's just, there's got to be a better way, right? <laughs> and yet, her first shot across the bow of submission to me was when she said, I could do that. Now, I have no doubt that she said that, not because of her confidence in me. I had just proven I can't really time things well, right? And then read the room, all my emotional intelligence, social awareness was out the window apparently, right? But somewhere in there, she had confidence in God. Now, I'd remind you, my wife did not grow up in a pastor's home. She had no experience in the kind of schedule or even the kind of um, life that, that our family had lived. And yet in the middle of all of that, she knew God would not fail her. And so she said yes to me. I'm deeply grateful that, and watch this, that my wife trusts God so much that she's willing to actively submit to my leadership as her husband. I'm not that good to deserve it, but God is that great to ask her for it. And so she submits to God and hopes in him. And I'm thankful for that. And so every one of you ladies who submit to your husband because of God, thank you. You are one of the daughters of Sarah. Your beauty is priceless. You have the rare an imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. You trust the Lord first. Because you do, you submit to your husband. 
And I want to say thank you and may God bless you for your true beauty.